So this fall, we'll explore some of Jesus' parables from the Gospels. And I think these parables are important. They represent 35% of Jesus' teaching in the Gospels, in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine some of you have a boss? Can you imagine if a third of the time that your boss directed you at something, uh, she used a short, enigmatic story, you know? Like, or like, parents, try this, try this with your kids, you know? Like, one out of every three times you talk to your, your kids, just like, spin a yarn about seeds and sowers, you know? Use that for your teachable moments. Or if you're studying under a professor, get a new advisor if this is how they treat you in your time together. Like if you're asking, which program should I apply to? And they're like, once there was a man with, you know. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. Uh, but Jesus insists on parables. He insists on giving us these focal images, these hypothetical scenarios, imaginative fables. He does this because the kingdom is coming, and it looks and it feels the same, but completely different from anything his hearers or us can currently conceive. So we need these touch points. We need these, these things that will help us leap the gap, that will show us rather than merely telling us. That'll create a world that's realer than our real world. That'll challenge our assumptions and our perceptions. That'll shake us up. One commentator describes the parables this way. Parables are imaginary gardens with real toads in them. They create an imaginary world that reflects reality. In this way, Jesus sometimes looks and sounds more like an artist than a lecturer or a politician. Consider someone, what someone like, uh, like Vincent Van Gogh achieves in, in their work. For instance, one of his most famous, Jay, you all have seen this, right? Like on a calendar or a postcard or something, right? Con consider this, The Starry Night. The Dutch painter, he had a robust and complicated Christian faith. He painted this from uh, kind of like his cell at a monastery turned psychiatric hospital. This was his view, but this painting is a parable in and of itself. You see on the left, the cypress tree, and, and you can't really see it very well, but kind of central in the bottom is this church steeple. They're the two gravitational centers uh, to this painting. If, if, you, if you cover one or both of them up, the whole thing falls apart. The movement's wrong, the balance is bad. And these, this, the tree and the church building are also the, the vertical touch points between heaven and earth. They, they connect. For Van Gogh, even out of this monastery psychiatric hospital, the church stands at the center of this world, even amidst the swirl of the sky, even amidst the ethereal beauty and the infinity that he's showing. The church is at the center of the world. The building represents the body of Christ, the city on the hill, the light of the world. But the only problem is every light on every building is on, but the church is dark. 
in his painting. You see, despite all the movement, all the, the night lights in the sky, all the different lives and stories down below, represented by uh, lights and windows of every domicile, the church remains unilluminating, unilluminated. But we look up and we look to the corner for Van Gogh's source of light. It's some sort of strange sun, moon, right? These things don't exist in nature. Perhaps by representing both, Van Gogh longs for neither. That moment in the new heavens and new earth, in Revelation 21, John the Revelator says, I didn't see a temple in the sky because its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. The city doesn't need a sun or the moon to shine upon it because God's glory is its light and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Van Gogh has told a parable about how things are and how they'll be. See, Van Gogh called Christ the great artist. He says he, he, he didn't work in clay or marble, paint or even ink, but he used spoken word, the parable, to confound, to challenge, to spark, to tell the truth, to craft a vision for Genesis moments, those hidden revealed places where you can do both at the same time, where people and things around us take on a little different light, See, Van Gogh's work creates space. Another uh, artist that I really like, Makoto Fujimura says, he says this of Van Gogh, that his paintings are color-filled parables of Genesis moments, generatively given to us in flesh, incarnational with canvas and paint. Telling parables, Jesus similarly creates space for those sparks to occur in us, for us to be changed. So we'll approach these parables looking for that, looking for that generative reality that they signal, the kingdom of heaven to which they point. Because parables aren't photos that we can capture, that we can't take snapshots, but they're dynamic, they're powerful. They're three-dimensional stories that we can hold up from several different angles and see very differently that we can hold in our hands. They signal a reality that we don't really know about. We don't know how to experience, but we're pulled into. Throughout this fall, um, we'll be preaching on these, but I also want to challenge you guys to, to come up with some of these on your own. So downstairs, Nate worked on this project and, and um, it, it's kind of our our public art project together down at our potluck. So be thinking on this uh, throughout, the, throughout the fall. The kingdom of heaven is like, and fill in your blank. Sure, there's, there's some that are better than others, some more interesting, more accurate to what God has in store, to what Christ has already inaugurated. But there's also a lot of space to be creative here. And so if you put something down, be prepared to defend it, right? And like Van Gogh, Try to pay attention around you to those parables of the kingdom around you.
So our reading today is from Matthew 13, 31 and 32. He told another parable to them. Someone took and planted in his field. Oh, sorry, sorry, not columns. He told another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and planted in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it's grown, it's the largest of all vegetable plants. It becomes a tree so that the birds in the sky can come and nest in its branches. This is the word of the Lord. One of the first things we notice about Jesus' short story is that he compares the kingdom of heaven, and Matthew always uses heaven to talk about the kingdom of God. So Mark and Luke talk about the kingdom of God, but Matthew says the kingdom of heavens, or the kingdom of the heavens. He compares the kingdom of heaven to something small, and then it grows into something big. That's like basic, right? That's, that's like, does everyone feel good about that? Right? But if we dig a little deeper, we start to realize that Jesus exaggerates a little bit here. The mustard seed is neither the smallest seed that exists, nor the largest tree that exists. Like, it's not the biggest vegetable plant, not the smallest seed. A black mustard seed, which we see demonstrated in large heaps in front of us, germinates within five days and grows up to ten feet. It has largely, it is, that's a big vegetable plant, not the biggest though. So what's Jesus doing here? For one, he's disarming us. By exaggerating the smallness of the seed, he's subverting our notions of what it takes for God to work. For God to work in our lives, he doesn't need something as formidable as a peach pit or something big, not as obvious as a tulip bulb or like a clipping, but something as innocuous as a mustard seed. Then he exaggerates the size of a mature mustard plant, not so much a tree, more like a bush or a, a shrub. And this is a far outcry of the cedars of Lebanon, or the mighty oaks of righteousness, right? We, we didn't name our church Mustard Church, right? Although our, it would have a built-in color scheme. The kingdom of heaven is both bigger and smaller than we can imagine. That's a, now are we all on board with that? See, for the strong, like I like to consider myself strong, this is a story of considerable scandal. That the kingdom might come into being through something small. Unassuming shrubbery rather than sequoias, redwoods, right? Your strength, my strength, our ability, our privilege, our skill, our security, all those things that we get really excited about and that we spend all of our time and attention trying to guard and cultivate, those things aren't the cause, nor are they the effect. They aren't the cause or the effect. God's grace is the cause. God's kingdom is the effect. Nothing is too small to be included in God's renewal of all things. No one is too insignificant. No one is too damaged. No one is unequipped 
to be an agent of God's reconciliation. That's good news. Can someone say amen? amen. Right? Nothing can't enter into God's refining work of renovation. And for the week, maybe you come here a week this morning. This is a story of hope and empowerment. That the kingdom comes from smallness and the vulnerability of a seed into little outcroppings that you and I already have everything we need for God to reign and rule. His justice and hope to be present. For us to be present and hospitable to others. All these things we do aren't small. They matter. And they're actually in, in the frame of this parable, and to paraphrase a current uh, political nominee, they're not small, they're huge, right? That's a terrible Trump. <laughs> I should have practiced that more. We also learn about the kingdom's surprise, the kingdom's spread. Sometimes I wonder if Jesus was ministering now or recently in the American South, he would have told a kingdom parable using kudzu. You see, kudzu is that omnipresent weed around us, like a clover, but it's a vine. If you ever jogged the American Tobacco Trail, there's a stretch right before Forest Hills when you're coming from the south, and there's just kudzu, mountains of kudzu. Gentle slopes of the stuff, you know? You're literally surrounded. So this is an image. I hope you can see it okay. It's really big. That's like a truck canister, like uh, the semis have on the back. And this is what I like to call Kudzu Jesus. See, like Brazil has Christ the Redeemer. We have, like, the triangle has Christ the train spotter because there's train tracks underneath. You, you can see the size of this thing. Initially, kudzu was introduced to help with erosion. It was pitched on the radio, like in the Depression era, with like salvation language to farmers. They said that barren southern farms might quote-unquote live again, and that hundreds of thousands of acres in the south are quote, waiting for the healing touch of the miracle vine. Kudzu sneakily became so present that it, it got its own mythology about taking over. Like if you saw kudzu, there was definitely snakes under there somewhere, right? Author Alice Walker took up this trope in The Color Purple, and she said, racism is like that local creeping kudzu vine that swallows whole forests and abandoned houses. If you don't keep pulling up the roots, it'll grow back faster than you can destroy it. Perhaps it would be a little sinister then for Jesus to have spoken about kingdom kudzu. But I think that's exactly the type of image that would really set his imagination off. That something might start so small and grow so strong. That a vine might mean salvation and mystery and terror all at once. It's starting to sound a little more like the kingdom that its reach and spread might have the capacity to engulf whole places and graft them into God's work and world. 
that the church might operate with some sort of agility and ability to thrive in the crevices, in the forgotten places, places in need of renewal and worthy to be embodied, occupied, and incarnated. So kudzu, like mustard seeds, envisions small, surprising kingdom outcroppings, growing manifestations of how God is bringing this world to rights through his Son and through the transformed people who make up his body, capital B. Theologian Scott McKnight repeats this phrase over and over. Kingdom mission is church mission. Church mission is kingdom mission. And there is no kingdom mission that is not church mission. So when we're talking about parables of the kingdom, we're in the middle of that as church. Good work can be done around us, work that inspires us, work that we can join into to alleviate suffering, poverty, or captivity. But let's not be under illusion. Kingdom work is the work of God's kingdom people. It's not something to be achieved by a successful campaign, political or Twitter. It's not something that an NGO can do. But it's those of us who know the king being who we are, a kingdom people. And then telling people about it. Telling people about hope, healing, and hospitality that we've found in Christ. That's worship. That's evangelism. And then working out of that hope, healing, and hospitality, that's justice. That small, anonymous mustard seed type of kingdom then grows grows, quote, larger than other vegetables into a tree that the birds in the sky come and nest in its branches. The kingdom of heaven's goal is hospitality, a respite, some shade, a cool place to perch. These are the birds we opened up our gathering this morning, if you notice that in Psalm 104. The birds of the nation nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. Those birds of the sky represent the nations. Those previously on the outside looking in on God's plans. Who have now found a home in Christ. Us Gentiles. The sinners. The tax collectors. The thieves. Those who would betray Jesus. Women of ill repute those suffering illnesses, the sick and hungry. All of you who are thirsty, come to the water. Whoever has no money, come, buy food and eat. Without money at no cost, buy milk and wine. Why spend money on what isn't food or your earnings on what doesn't satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Enjoy the richest of feasts. Listen to me and come. Listen and you will live. Or perhaps Jesus is purposely subverting what they're expecting, fulfilling Daniel's vision. That's what Daniel two or Daniel four says. At the center of the earth was a towering tree. The tree grew in size and strength. It was as high as the sky. It could be seen from every corner of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant. It had enough food for everyone. Wild animals took shade under it. Birds nested in its branches. All living things lived off that tree. The tree you saw that grew in size and strength 
that was as high as the sky that could be seen from every corner with its beautiful leaves and abundant fruit and that had enough food for everyone. It had wild animals living under it, birds nesting in its branches. This is the Genesis moment that the parable creates for us. Where what we grow into creates space for others to thrive and flourish. Where grace and generosity and gratitude ooze out to others. We can't contain them. I like to think about another parabolic painting from another Christian artist who I mentioned earlier, Mako Fujimura. He moved from the middle of Manhattan, where he was during 9-11, to a, a farm in Princeton, New Jersey, and on his property, he has this old pear tree. And so this is a, a painting that he did of it called Kiseki. And he says, what emerges from generative moments is something new transformed from its source, something that's free and responsible to make its own ongoing creative contribution. I have on my farm this magnificent old pear tree, he says. This tree has grown from a small seed. First the seed died. It found welcoming soil and morphed into a tiny shoot. In time with nurture it came to full growth, a thing of beauty at many levels on a scale out of proportion to the original seed and full of generative potential in its turn. The tree provides shade and shelter, flowers and fruit. It might provide wood for warmth or walls or works of art. It might contribute to a landscape or resist erosion. It might inspire plays or poems, paintings or photographs. It might spark a scientific discovery, host children at play, or lead a man or woman to reflect on the nature of life. This is what the kingdom of heaven is. All this generative potential, grace, more than we can imagine, starting from small, local manifestations and growing into something more than itself. Here's an interesting thought. Maybe Jesus chose the mustard seed. He had all these plants, all these vegetables at his disposal. Maybe he chose the mustard seed as a parable of the kingdom because he's because a mustard seed is famous for its seeds. You know, we actually use, I bought these at a spice market. Like, we use these still. Because maybe the birds of the air, the nations, are attracted to this mustard plant, not just for its shade, not just for a rest, but also for the seeds. Not only do they receive the king's protection, rest and respite, but they also participate in the kingdom's spread. If you, if you perch on a mustard seed and you start to eat the seeds, that's how plants spread. I don't want to get into birds and bees this morning, but like, that's how, that's what happens. Seeds spread. The kingdom experience of those birds begets more kingdom cropping up here and there and there and there. So this morning, um, as, as I was doing this, I didn't do this intentionally, but a lot of you guys have been asking uh, Rachel, Rachel and I about um, like small groups. When are we going to do small 
churches do small groups now, right? Like we used to do um, Sunday school, now we do small groups. Um, and we had, had not felt like we were in a place to do that yet, but you guys are asking a lot. And as I was preparing this sermon, I couldn't help but think, what a great hope for our small groups, um, that they might be little kingdom outcroppings here and there and there around town in Durham, in Lakewood, uh, little places um, where f- for, for ourselves and for others, there, there can be shade, there can be some nurture happening, there can be flourishing and growth from, a, from something small into something a little bigger. Um, and, and that from the, from the seed stage to the shrub stage, um, it's, it's all kingdom through and through, um, a, a place where we come to, to know the king better together and, and live uh, with our brothers and sisters um, under his reign. So this morning, uh, we're going to pass out um, some cards for these little mustard seed groups that we want to start. And this is really the hope that, that like everyone would be involved in one of these. So grab a card and fill them out. Um, put them in the watering can later. And and we'll we'll start putting these together. Like um, you'll see on the cards, like you can say, I'm interested in hosting, I'm interested in um, leading, I'm interested in participating in one. And in the as we move into our second year as a church, I think these uh, make sense right now for us. And I think um, if these are successful, I think we'll see um, God continue to cultivate continue to grow, um, continue to change us and, and grow us into Christ's image uh, together, continue to, to be um, hospitable to others entering into that, to witness uh, to that kingdom reality. Now as we close, um, we'll then move into a time of confession and conversation and then gather around the Lord's Supper together and share in communion. But as you come up, if you're feeling anything other than an absolute beginner in God's grace this morning, when you come up to the table, grab a handful of mustard seeds. If you're feeling small or invisible or left out or insignificant, come to the table and grab a handful of mustard seeds. And know that the kingdom of heaven is like these. If you woke up today facing an obstacle in your faith, whether that obstacle is being battered or from neglect, whether your obstacle is a tragedy or apathy, come to the table, grab a hold of what Jesus would later compare as an earth-shaking, mountain-tossing faith. More importantly, come to the table to receive from the king. To rejoin his reign this week and next week and the week after that. Come to the table to have your measly faith swamped by God's everlasting faithfulness. Given to us by his spirit through Christ's body and his blood on the cross. Come to the table and experience this generative reality of the kingdom with expectation 
that God's going to show up. We just got to look around. We got to ask for new ears and eyes to see and imaginations to recognize. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for these stories that derail us. Take us off the track of what we think we know. That dig deep into what we really hope for. God, we say we want your kingdom. But we spend most of our times glorifying big and fast and strong instead of small and slow and vulnerable. Lord, grow us into the likeness of your Son. Grow us in our expectation of your kingdom. Help us live in this lag between what Jesus has already brought to us and what Jesus will bring again as he fulfills his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, grow our faiths like mustard seeds, not because we're heroic, not because of anything about us, but because of you. Lord, give us, give us childlike wonder at this, childlike imaginations to come up with these little stories of, of what we imagine your kingdom to be like that, that help us live in faithful ways together. Lord, bless these forming groups. Give us wisdom and, and openness to see how you're going to lead us in this and, and, and what you want us uh, to do. If you want us, if you want one of us to lead and one of us to host or uh, if if you're going to join a group that you've never been in, in a first time, for the first time, and that's really scary. Really scary to be around people that you don't know well. Uh, really scary to be known. Really scary to open yourself up and, and have people check you on, on, on things. Um, really scary to know um, that, that people can actually care about you, even if they know you. Lord, continue in the second year to, to grow us. To grow us in our faith, to grow us in our likeness of you. And we thank you for your spirit for making all this happen. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.